Good afternoon. We're here from Partick, Free Church of Scotland, continuing. And with a local Christian congregation, we meet at 2 Thornwood Terrace. That's just off Dumbarton Road. Go up there to the police station. And opposite the police station, go up the hill there. And you will come to Thornwood Primary School. And then next door to Thornwood Primary School, you will see our building at Chew Thornwood Terrace. We extend a warm welcome to you to come along any Lord's Day. That's Sunday, 11 a.m. or again at 6 p.m. And also we have a, a midweek meeting. We meet on Wednesday evening at 7.30 and we would extend a warm welcome to all of you to come along where you might hear something more concerning uh, the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he is the essential ingredient, if you like, in Christianity. There is no Christianity without the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the sum and substance of our faith. And without Him, we wouldn't have a, a gospel to proclaim. And without Him, we wouldn't be out on the street this afternoon bringing the good news of the Christian gospel to you as you pass by. There are others here that are handing out uh, gospel tracts Maybe you don't have time to stay and listen, but please accept a gospel tract. Take it home and read it. There you'll find a very short and concise gospel message. And also you'll find details concerning our congregation and our times of openings and such like. And we do extend a warm welcome to you that you might come along and we realize that today in the society that we live in, many people do not go to a Christian place of worship. In fact, it may well be true that you've never gone to a Christian place of worship. And therefore, you might, find, might feel that you're somewhat apprehensive. You don't know what to expect. Well, again, we promise you a warm welcome we're not here to judge anyone. We're not here to scold or to criticize. We simply want to bring you face to face with the claims of the eternally begotten Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who came to this world to suffer and to die and to lay down his life and to give his life a ransom for many. And we really want to tell you about this person and what he has accomplished and what he will accomplish. Because the Savior that we proclaim to you this afternoon is not dead. He's alive. And this is something that distinguishes Christianity from every other religion in this world. And there are many religions, and in the city that we live in, there are many devotees who follow 
false religion. But Christianity is unique in a number of ways. And one way that it is unique is that our Savior, the head and king of the church, the Lord Jesus Christ, is not dead. He's alive. He was dead. He was crucified. He was put in a tomb. He was there on Friday night, Saturday night, but on the first day of the week, which is Sunday, not Monday as many people think, the first day of the week, Sunday, he arose victorious over the grave. And he is now alive, and he is alive forevermore, and death has no longer any hold upon King Jesus. And therefore we come out this afternoon that we might introduce you to the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as I said, there are others out, and they will be handing out some gospel tracts. Please take a gospel tract, take it home and read it, and you'll find more details about our services, to which we wel- we give you all a warm welcome. So what is Christianity all about? Well, Christianity is all about a person. And it's about the person of the Son of God. The Bible teaches us a very mysterious thing, that God is Trinity. There's the Father, there's the Son, and there is the Holy Spirit. Three persons, one God, the same in substance, equal in power and in glory. The Bible ascribes mainly creation to the work of God the Father. Not exclusively, of course, but mainly it ascribes creation to the work of the Father. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. That's how the Bible begins. That's the first verse in the first book of the Bible, Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. He's the one who made all things. This world, this universe, is not eternal, as some would have us believe. It had a beginning. But before that beginning was God. And that would tell you that God is before creation, and God alone is eternal. He is from everlasting to everlasting. He alone is eternal. And according to what he has decreed in eternity, the day came when he brought this world, this universe, the sun, the moon, the stars, all the planets, all the animals, all the birds, all the fish, all the insects, all the plant life, and ultimately he brought man into being on the sixth day of creation. Let us make man in our image, is what the Bible says. And God made man in his own image. He made the first man, Adam, out of dust. He made him out of, the, out of dust. And he was made in the image of God. And what does that mean? Well, it means simply he was like God. The work of creation is God made 
all things, of nothing, by the word of his power, in the space of six days, and all very good. And God created man, male and female, after his own image, in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness, with dominion over the creatures. And it pleased God to make our first father, Adam, out of the dust. And from Adam, what happened? He made Eve. It is not good for man to be alone. And he made a suitable helpmeet for Adam. And Eve was made from Adam. And they were the first man and woman. And from them, all of mankind have come. We have one set of original parents. One set of original parents. We've all come from Adam and Eve. And at the very beginning, they were perfect. They were holy. They were righteous. They were sincere. They were pure. And they had a wonderful relationship with their Creator. And they enjoyed this relationship for some time. How long, we don't know, because the Bible doesn't tell us. But one day, Eve was tempted. Eve was tempted by the tempter who appeared to her in the form of a serpent. And he began to temper, to tell her to eat the forbidden fruit because God had given Adam a very clear and a very concise commandment. He was able to eat from all the trees in the garden except from one. He was not allowed to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he was told if he did eat the fruit from that tree, the moment he did it, he would die. But the devil came along and said, did God really say that? God wants to hold you back. Because God knows when you eat the fruit from that tree, you will become like God. And God doesn't want you to be like Him. That's the way that Eve was tempted. And she succumbed to this temptation. She ate the forbidden fruit. And what then? She gave it to her husband. And he ate it. So our first parents, they rebelled against God. They sided with God's enemy, Satan, and they rebelled against the living God. And ever since that time, something changed between the relationship between God and man. Sin entered into that relationship. Previously, Adam and Eve had a wonderful relationship with God their Heavenly Father, their Creator. But because of sin, that relationship was broken. And they no longer had an intimate relationship with their Creator. Sin brought this about. And because all of us have come from Adam and Eve, we have inherited their sinful nature. And therefore, to put it very clearly and plainly so that we can all understand, there is a barrier between our Creator and ourselves. And that barrier is sin. Now, 
We don't hear much about sin today. Even if you do go to a Christian place of worship, you might not hear about sin. But sin is a terrible thing. It may be a light thing as far as we're concerned, but as far as God is concerned, it is absolutely terrible. Because sin is offensive to Him. Sin is rebellion against God. Our catechism would teach us, sin is any want of or transgression of the law of God. God has given us a law, and because of sin we have broken all of the law that He has given to us. And therefore there is this great barrier between a holy God who is pure, who dwells in unapproachable light, and who cannot tolerate sin, there is that barrier between us and Him. And that barrier is sin. And do you know what, friends? We can do nothing about it in of ourselves. Not even the wisest men in this world can deal with it. Sadly, many of them do not even recognize the problem. They see the results of sin, but they do not see the cause and the root of sin. They do not see this problem. And all our politicians and all those who have power over us, those who are looked upon as movers and shakers in our society, our industrialists, our educationalists, our politicians, those who control our financial institutions, and everything that this world has does not truly recognize mankind's greatest need and greatest problem. But God does, and the Bible does, and God has done something about it. You see, you and I, we don't have the power to deal with our sin. And what's more alarming, we don't have the desire to deal with our sin. We're very happy to live in our sin. We're very happy to be estranged from God. But God is not. And God has created us for His pleasure. And in order that that might be achieved, something has to happen. Our sin has to be dealt with. And here's where the Lord Jesus Christ comes in. Here, the second person of the Trinity, the only begotten Son of God, He agreed to come to this world and to do all that was required in order to make atonement for sin, in order to work out a salvation whereby men and women and boys and girls could be reconciled to God. He said on one occasion, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. You see, friends, today with all our sin, we have physical life. We all have physical life. Every one of us who is moving about here or those in their flats as they're sitting and listening, they have physical life. 
but there's more to life than physical life. There's spiritual life, and ultimately, there is everlasting or eternal life. And that's what Jesus has come to give us. He has come to give us spiritual life, eternal life, real life. And this is one of the characteristics of biblical Christianity. It deals with death. It deals with sin. And those who believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, what do they have? What do they get from the Lord Jesus? They get their sins forgiven. And because their sins are forgiven, they are reconciled unto God. They have been justified by faith. They are brought into a a living and a lively and a loving relationship with Almighty God. This is what has happened because of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has done something glorious. He has done something wonderful. He has done something that we ourselves cannot possibly do. He has removed the barrier between sinful mankind and a holy God. Jesus said on one occasion to the Jews when he was exercising his earthly ministry, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death to life. John chapter 5, verse 24. There the Lord Jesus Christ is telling us, He that heareth my word. Well, in a very small manner, and in a very small measure, you are hearing God's word this afternoon. Even for the short time that you pass by, you are hearing something concerning the Word of God and the everlasting gospel. And Jesus says, He that heareth my word and believeth on him, you're to believe upon the living God, you're to call upon him that sent me. You see, Jesus Christ came on a rescue mission and He was sent from heaven. And that would tell us He comes with the authority of heaven. He is, if you like, the ambassador from heaven. He comes with all the authority and with all the approval of Almighty God because He is the only God-appointed Saviour. There is no other Savior. There is no other way to be reconciled to God. God has not provided a plan B or a plan C. And that's why we can say with authority and with confidence that all other religions, no matter what they might say, no matter what they might claim, all other religions are false. And if you're a follower of any other religion other than Christianity, as we find it 
in the Bible, then you're following a false religion. Because Jesus says, He that heedeth my word, and believeth in him that sent me, hath everlasting life. You see, Christ is the only God-appointed Savior. And these are the words of the Lord Jesus himself. He said to his disciples, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. John chapter 14, verse 6. In other words, no one will get to heaven. No one will see the glory of the Father. No one will be in glory unless Christ takes them. Why? Because He is the only Savior. In another place in the Bible, in 1 Timothy, you can read this for yourself, I hope. For there is one God, one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave His life a ransom for all to be testified in due time. He that heareth my word and believeth in him that sent me hath everlasting life. Friends, is this not what you really want? Deep down, is this what you really want? Is it not to have everlasting life? Well, this is what Christ has secured for us by His life, by His death, and by His resurrection. He has secured eternal life for those who will put their faith and their hope and their trust upon Him. Is it not true that for the last ten days or so, this nation has been taken up with the death of an individual? The death of the Queen, I am, uh, the late Queen I'm refer referring to. She was on the throne for over 70 years. She lived till she was 96. But she's gone the way of all the earth. And surely as we would consider the death of a prominent lady like that, we must realize that we ourselves are mortal. We ourselves will go the way of all the earth. It doesn't matter how young you are. It doesn't matter how fit you are. It doesn't matter your circumstances. We will all grow old. And eventually we shall be gathered to our fathers. And another generation shall follow us. Is that what life is all about? Is it just simply being born into this world? living for a few decades, and then what? Into eternity. Is there not more to life? Well, yes, the Bible tells us there is more to life. Because, friends, when we die, when we die, it's not over, as some would have us believe. The atheists and many evolutionists will teach this to you. And this is what dominates uh, the intellectual life of our schools and our colleges and our universities. It is atheism and evolutionism. And basically what they tell us, we're here for a very short time. Eat, drink, and be merry, 
for tomorrow we die and then it's all over. But Christianity has proved that that is all wrong. It's all wrong. How do we know it's all wrong? Well, not just because the Bible says so, but because Jesus Christ went to the cross, He suffered, He died, He was taken down from the cross, dead, put in a tomb, but on the first day of the week He arose. He came out of the grave. And that tells us that there is life after death. And indeed the Bible tells us that there shall be a resurrection. There shall be what we call a general resurrection. At the end of time, the day will come when Jesus Christ shall return. Yes, friends, you need to know this. The media won't tell you this. You won't hear this on social media, will you? But Jesus is going to return. This same Jesus shall return in like manner. That's what the angels said to the disciples when they watched Jesus disappear into the clouds. He was taken up into glory and they were transfixed and they were watching him as he disappeared. And an angel appeared and said, this same Jesus shall return in like manner. And one of the things that happens when he shall return, we don't know when, but he shall return. And when he returns, what will happen? Well, one thing that will happen is there shall be a resurrection, a general resurrection. And what do we mean by that? Well, we simply mean that everyone who ever lived shall come to life again. Their bodies shall be reconstituted they shall come to life again. There shall be a resurrection. And you may well die, like I will die, no doubt. The time will come when I will go the way of all the earth. I'll be dead and buried, but one day my body shall rise again, and so shall yours. And it shall rise on that day when Jesus returns. And not only will there be a resurrection, but there shall be a day of judgment. We shall stand before King Jesus. There he'll be on his throne. The Bible calls it, in Revelation chapter 20, it calls it the great white throne. And the Lord Jesus shall be there, that one who was beaten, that one who had a crown of thorns upon his head, that one who had nails through his hands and feet, and that one whose side was pierced with a sword, one day he will sit upon a throne, and you will give account of your life to him on that day. Here is what the Apostle Paul says in God's Word concerning that day. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. The Apostle Paul is telling the Corinthian Christians 
of the general resurrection, and they shall be there before King Jesus, and they'll give account. You know, friends, the Bible tells us that we cannot be saved by good works. Many people think that if they try to live a good life, then they'll be saved. They know they're not perfect, but they think that if they begin to live a good life, if maybe they turn religious, or they do charitable works, or they're good to their neighbor, or whatever, somehow they think that that will qualify them in order to be saved in that day of judgment. That's not the case. We will never be saved by our works. The Bible tells us clearly, for it is by grace ye have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, and not by works, so that no man may boast. Now I say that because there in that text I quoted from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, it talks about us that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done. You will not be saved by your works, but you may well be condemned by your works. The only way to be saved, friends, is to have a Savior. It is to have one who lived a perfect life, who died to pay the price of our sin, and whose work has been accepted by the Father. Who am I referring to? I'm referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, God demands perfection. Absolute perfection. But none of us can provide perfection. But another can. And who is that other? That other is Jesus Christ the Lord. He has come. He has done something about our problem. He has lived a perfect life. He has perfectly kept the law of God. He is the only one who never sinned. He lived an absolutely perfect life in complete conformity to the law of God in thought, in word, and in deed. He never had to apologize. He never had to change his mind. He was absolutely perfect. The only one that ever lived a perfect life. He fulfilled the law of God. And more than that, he went to the cross where he was punished where he offered up that perfect life, a perfect sacrifice that was pleasing to God to make atonement for our sin. Because the Bible would teach us that the soul that sinneth, it shall die. And that's what we deserve. Earlier on when I began to speak, I spoke about how we think that sin is not a serious matter. We don't think it's serious. We don't think it really matters. But that's not the case. Sin is extremely serious. God takes it extremely serious because it is offensive to Him, the Creator. But 
We have one who paid the price, who suffered and died the death that the sinner should suffer and die. Jesus stood in in our place. And if you will call upon Him, you shall be saved. What does it mean to be saved? The Bible talks about being saved. What does it mean to be saved? It means to be saved from our sins. This is what Christ has come to do. You see, because of our sin, we die, not just physically, but spiritually. And ultimately, if the matter is not dealt with, it will be an eternal death. The Bible calls that the second death. That's a terrible death. What is it? It is to be separated from the gracious presence of the living God forever and forever. Today, friend, you may well be a, an unbeliever, and you may never have gone to a place of worship, and you may never ever acknowledge or call upon God. But you still know and receive many blessings from God. He gives you life. He gives you health. He gives you strength. He gives you food. He gives you clothing. He gives you family. He gives you shelter. He gives you many, many things. But if you die in your sin, you will be separated from all the graciousness of God forever and forever. And no one wants to have that experience. How can we avoid it then? How can we escape the second death? And how can we know the joy of eternal life? The only way, friends, is to have Christ as your Savior. It's to be found in Him. It's to call upon Him. It's to have Him as your substitute. The one who paid the price of your sin, the one who has given you new life, the one who has fulfilled God's law on your behalf, you must therefore call upon Him. And that's why we come out in order that we might bring this message to you. We'll hear from Partick Free Church of Scotland continuing. We're going to take a short break to recharge our batteries, but we'll be back shortly with the Word of God. And may God bless His Word to you this afternoon. Good afternoon, folks. We're here from Partick Free Church of Scotland continuing. It's good to be able to come out on the Partick station here to bring you something concerning the Lord Jesus Christ and what He has done and to commend a Savior to you. We do this because we have a commission from the great King and head of the church. The Lord Jesus Christ gave His early apostles and disciples the commission to go into all the world. Let me read it to you. We'll find it at the end of Matthew's Gospel. Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power in, is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father 
and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. And there is the great commission that was first given to the apostles and to the disciples before Jesus was taken up into glory into heaven again. Now they did what they could in their day and generation. And indeed they had remarkable success. They went to many parts of the world and introduced Christianity and had wonderful success, but they could never go to the ends of the earth. And therefore, that commission has fallen upon the modern-day disciples. And we have a duty and a privilege and a responsibility to go out and to tell people concerning the person and the work of the Lord Jesus. Well, we do it because we have a commission, but we also do it, friends, because this is something that you must hear. You must hear this because Christianity is something that affects us all. We cannot bury our head in the sand regarding this matter because it deals with our never-dying eternal souls. It tells us that we're made in the image of God, but we're fallen creatures. How are we fallen? We're fallen because we're sinners, and we fall far short of the glory of God. As it says in Romans chapter 3, Verse 23, For there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now that might not mean much to you, but it means something to the Creator. We were made in the image of God. God created man, male and female, after His own image, in knowledge, righteousness and holiness, with dominion over the creatures. And therefore, God has made us for a purpose. He's made us that we might glorify and enjoy Him. But we don't do this. And we're not able to do it because of a terrible thing called sin. And we, by nature, are not concerned about sin. But God is. And God has done something about it. What has He done? Well, He sent His only begotten Son the Lord Jesus Christ, in order that he might attend to and to address our greatest need. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And God saw us lost, and God saw us perishing. God saw us without hope in this world. He knew that if we continue as we are, I beg your pardon, sir? Definitely a he. Absolutely definitely. No question about it. God is a he. Yep. And there are only two genders, male and female. That the Bible tells us clearly. And God is to be described as a he. So, God saw our problem. Our problem was sin. And he dealt with it. He sent forth his son the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, how could Christ possibly deal with our sin? Well, first of all, He was sinless. And He lived a perfect life. He didn't sin in word. 
in thought or in deed. He alone lived a perfect life, and therefore he was able to offer up himself as a perfect sacrifice. If you know anything about the Old Testament, you will know that it's dominated by the people offering sacrifices to appease God. Well, all of these sacrifices were pointing forward to that day when Christ would go to the cross and he would offer up himself that perfect sacrifice. And that's what he did. He offered up himself in order to make atonement for our sin because the Bible tells us that the soul that sinneth, it shall die. You see, sin is a very terrible thing in the sight of God. It's a, it is an abominable thing in His sight, and He cannot tolerate it. He must deal with it. And that's what He did, because He punished His Son. When He offered up that perfect sacrifice, He laid upon His Son the sins of His people. And here's the wonder, here's the glory, and here's the amazement of the Christian gospel. If you will but believe upon the Lord Jesus you will receive His righteousness. He takes your sin. He pays the penalty for your sin. You receive His righteousness. This is what the Bible calls being justified by faith. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, stop, think, consider. Would you not like to have peace with God? You might say, well, I, I, I'm quite peaceful. There's no problem. I put it to you, that's not quite the case. I put it to you that there are times and occasions in your life when you've got a burden and you're troubled. You maybe not, you cannot articulate it. You don't know what it is, but there's some problem. There's something nagging you in the back of your mind. Sometimes it surfaces itself more than others, usually in quiet times or times of sickness, or maybe times when a loved one has passed on, then you are troubled. Why are you troubled? You're troubled because you're not right with God. You don't have peace with God. And why do you not have peace with God? You don't have peace with God because something in your life is called sin, is causing a barrier between you and your Creator. Well, Jesus Christ has come to deal with that barrier. And He did it on the cross. He lived a perfect life. He offered up a perfect sacrifice to make atonement for sin. And now we're able to go forth into the world and to declare the gospel and to tell men and women and boys and girls to repent and believe the gospel and receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. And... When you receive Christ, you have peace with God. Why? Because the great problem of your sin has been dealt with. Christ has paid the price. And because God is just, He cannot demand payment twice. Impossible. God is a holy God, a just God. And if someone has paid the price on your behalf, then God will not demand payment twice. We could think of a, a modern-day illustration. If you went into Morrison's here, and you bought a hundred pounds worth of groceries, and when you came to the till, what? You haven't got money, 
and your credit card won't be accepted, what would happen? Well, you would have to put the goods back, would you not? But what would happen if someone paid them for you? Well, Morrisons would happily accept the, the payment on behalf of someone else, and you would be able to go away with what you have purchased or what someone else has paid for you on their behalf. That's the way it is with the Christian gospel. Christ has fulfilled God's law. We are required to, to fulfill it, but we cannot. Someone has fulfilled it on our behalf. The Lord Jesus, He has offered up a sacrifice to make atonement for our sins. God accepts that on our behalf. Someone else has worked out a way whereby we might be saved. God accepts that. And therefore, that's why we're able to come out, friends, and to tell everyone the same message because we all need to heed it. Why do we need to heed it? We need to heed it because the Bible tells us there is none righteous. No, not one. As far as God is concerned, there are none righteous. What does it mean to be righteous? To be righteous means to be able to stand before God not being condemned. To stand before God uncondemned. That's what we have in the gospel. That's what Jesus has secured by his life, by his death, and by his resurrection. And you know what, friends? No one else can do this. We live in a day and in a time when there are almost in, an innumerable amount of religions. And more and more are being added daily. We could give you a figure, but it would be out of date. The world is awash with religion. But none of these religions can save. None whatsoever. Only Jesus can save. Only Jesus went to the cross. Only Jesus went to the grave. Only Jesus rose victorious over the grave. Only Jesus is in heaven today. Only Jesus will return in power and in glory. Therefore, He is the only God-appointed Savior. And to reject Him is to reject all hope. There's no other way. God hasn't got another plan. And there's not another God. You must deal with Him and with Him alone. And therefore, if you've grasped anything of what I've said, you can surely understand why we come out on the streets and bring this message to you. This message is vitally important because, sadly, many people will be born they will live a, a perfectly normal life. They will be educated, maybe higher education. They'll get a job. Maybe they'll get married. They'll have children. They'll have grandchildren. And before you know where they are, they will be in eternity. And maybe they've never heard the authentic Christian gospel. They've never heard 
that one day they'll stand before Almighty God in Christ and they'll give account. Maybe they've never realized this is what lies ahead. Now, I would be a very strange individual if I knew these things and kept them to myself. Would I not? Would you not say that's a very wicked and strange individual if he knows these things and he keeps the message to himself? What if I was one who had an incurable disease and by the mercy of God I found someone who was able to save me, who was able to cure me, and I kept this knowledge to myself, and I didn't tell other sufferers, you would think, well, he's an odd character. It's very inhumane to act like this, to keep the good news to yourself. Well, so it is with the Christian gospel. Friends, we have been liberated, we have been saved, we have been brought to know the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and we don't want to keep this knowledge to ourselves. And that's why we come out and tell young and old the need they have for Christ. Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. There is a is a warning and an exhortation to the young, to the, those who ordinarily will have many years ahead of them. They're urged to make peace with God now in the days of their youth. Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. And therefore the Bible would call upon young people, young people to be found having Christ as their Lord and Savior and living their lives, the whole of their lives, the best part of their lives, serving King Jesus. Because many people think, foolishly think that they might live in the world and they might live in sin for long enough and then when they get a bit older, and when death is maybe round the corner, maybe then they'll, they'll say to themselves, well, we'll turn religious, or we'll seek the Lord Jesus Christ when we get older. We don't know these things. Life is very uncertain. It can be very short. Death is certain. Sin is the problem, and Christ alone is the cure. And we don't want to keep this cure to ourselves. We go out and we tell you that you too might listen to what we find in God's Word. You know, friends, I'm not making these things up. The things that I'm saying to you can be verified by looking at the Holy Scriptures, and that we know in this day and age when we're surrounded by so much propaganda uh, and innuendo and fake news and speculation and lies and error, we have the truth of the Word of God. Jesus himself said, Thy Word is truth. He's referring to the Scriptures. 
Thy word is truth. Here we have truth, friends. We can pick up our Bibles and we can read the truth. And it's time to feed our minds upon the truth. Jesus said himself about his own words, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall never pass away. What words? And how true they are. Because even today, we are still proclaiming and teaching the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. When the words of other men are gone, the words of Christ remain. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall never pass away. That's the one you are to put your faith and hope in. That's the one who came from heaven. No one else has ever come from heaven but the Lord Jesus. And if we are to be found in heaven, we must have him to take us there. He alone can take us. He said to his disciples before he departed, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there ye may be also. And this is what Christ does, friends. He saves us here. Saves us from our sins. We are reconciled to God. And then at the appropriate time, He will take us to glory. To be with Him forever and forever. Because this is what Christianity is about. It's about how Christ, coming from heaven, taking upon Himself our form and our nature, and did all that was required to save His people, in order that He might ultimately take them to glory, to be with Him forever and forever. Is this not what you would like? You know there's more to life than simply this life here. You know that you are made for eternity. You know that. That's in your DNA. You cannot avoid it. That's why Jesus said on one occasion, For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? You might not have realized it, but the Bible tells us we are body and soul. Body and soul. The body will die. It will return to the dust. Whether it decomposes in a coffin or whether it's burnt in the crematorium, it will return unto dust. But your soul is eternal. And the moment you die, your soul shall return to God who gave it. And it will live forever. Where will it live? Well, that depends. That depends on what you do with Christ.
because if you're saved, if you belong unto him, you will go to heaven. But if you don't belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, you will go to that other place that the Bible calls hell. Don't be deceived. There are only two places. It's either heaven or hell. To be in heaven, you need to have a Savior. For none of us are fit for heaven as we are. We need a Savior to take us. And that Savior is Christ. What will it be then? Where will you be? When that day comes, when you'll go the way of all the earth, where will you go? You can lose your soul. The only way to save it is to have Christ to save it. We're here from Partick Free Church of Scotland continuing. We're going to take a short break, but may God bless his word to you this afternoon. Good afternoon. We're here from Partick Free Church of Scotland, continuing with a local <coughs> congregation. We are a Scottish registered charity. We meet locally at Two Thornwood Terrace, and if you want to go there, Go up Dumbarton Road and you'll come to the police station first and opposite the police station. Go up the hill there and you'll first of all come to Thornwood Primary School and then you'll meet our building at the crossroads next door to it. And we would extend a warm welcome to you to come along any Lord's Day that Sunday at 11 a.m. or in the early evening at 6 p.m. And we also have a midweek meeting on Wednesday at 7.30. And we would extend a, a warm welcome to all of you to come along. Don't be alarmed or ashamed if you've not been before. We, you will be made most welcome. You'll be treated well in a non-judgmental manner and we will make you more than welcome and we mention these things because we know that we live in a day and generation when there are many religious charlatans around but we want to tell you friends that we live in this area and we operate in this area we're not fly-by-night characters we have our roots here. We are based here. But we're not preaching ourselves. We are proclaiming another. We are only representatives. And we are pointing you to another person. Who is that person? That person is the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are, in some sense, to be looked upon as John the Baptist. You've heard of John. He was the forerunner to Christ. And he was a signpost. And he was pointing people to the Lord Jesus Christ. He cried out when he was on the, the banks of the River Jordan. 
Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. And this is the person that we want to proclaim and introduce to you this afternoon. We simply invite you along to our services in order that you might hear about him. You'll never be saved by going to church. You'll never be saved by being a religious person. The only way that you can be saved is to have Christ as your Lord and Savior for him to save you. You may well wonder then, why do I need to be saved? Well, the Bible doesn't flatter us. It does inform us, but it does not flatter us. And it tells us our plight and our condition. When we look at the Bible, God tells us what he sees in us. And to put it mildly, we are sinners. Let me read one or two verses from Romans chapter 3. And here we have Paul, the apostle, outlining the natural man. And you and I, by nature, are described here. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Their throat is an open sepulchre. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now these verses that were quoted by Paul come from various parts in the Old Testament. But Paul has brought them together in order that they might accurately describe the natural man or the natural woman. And the natural man or woman is the woman who has come out or the man who has come out of the womb. In other words, he is describing us all by nature. There is none righteous. None of us are righteous. And to be righteous in God's sight is to stand before him uncondemned. Well, none of us can do that. By nature, none of us are righteous. There is none that understandeth. We don't understand God. And we don't understand the way to get right with God. It's all beyond us. And there is none that seeketh after God. None of us by nature would seek after God. We all want to run away from Him. We want nothing to do with Him. We hide from Him. Just like our first parents. When our first parents sinned, what happened to them? They hid. Why did they hid? They hid because... They were guilty. They were ashamed of themselves. And this is one reason why people don't go to God's house today in order to hear God's word. 
because they are ashamed and they're frightened and they're guilty and they don't seek after God at all. They are together become unprofitable because of sin, friends. We don't live the lives that we should live. We don't live to the glory of God. And in God's sight, we have become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. You know, all our good works, no matter what they are, are not good in the sight of God. We might be good to our neighbors. We might be good to our fathers, our mothers, our husbands, our wives, our children, and our grandchildren. But in the sight of God, they're not good. Why are they not good? They're not good because we have a sinful nature. And they're not done in order to please God. And they're not done in faith. And therefore, all our good works, they do not satisfy God at all. And here's an interesting verse. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. Is that not common today? Is that not what we see today? Whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Even for the short time that I've been here, I've listened to people speak cursing and bitterness and blasphemy. You hear it all around you, even amongst the, the school children in the playground. Even amongst primary school children, you hear terrible language, language that we would never have heard before. But here we, we hear it. And what does it tell us? Well, friends, the Bible tells us, out of the heart the mouth speaketh. And therefore, these filthy words, these filthy thoughts, and these filthy themes must be in our hearts. And our tongues simply articulate what's in our hearts. Whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. That's the natural man. That is describing all of us by nature. Their feet are swift to shed blood, violence, wickedness. All of that can be attributed to sin and to the natural man. And the way of peace have they not known. They don't know peace with God. They don't know it. There is no fear of God before their eyes. This is what we find in our day, in our generation. There's no fear of God. From the youngest to the oldest, there's no fear. There's no realization that our, our lives are in the hands of God. He has our lives in His hands. We depend upon Him for the very water that we drink, the air that we breathe, the food that we eat, everything. We are not self-sufficient. We depend upon the living God. And because of this, we should fear God. There should be a reverence. There should be a respect. There should be a sense of awe when we speak and deal with God, for He is a living God. He is from everlasting to everlasting, without beginning of days nor end of days. He is the great Creator. He is our lawgiver. He is our judge. And therefore, because of these things, 
We should fear God. But it tells us, describing the natural man, there is no fear of God before their eyes. Well, you might think that because that's an accurate picture of the natural man, you might well think, well, God has wiped his hands off us. Nothing could be further from the truth. Nothing could be further from the truth. God has looked upon mankind and God has addressed our greatest need. I hope you're familiar with what has been regarded as the most popular or well-known verse in the Bible. What is it? John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And there, friends, we see that God has not in any sense wiped his hands of mankind. For God so loved the world. For God so loved lost mankind. For God so loved the world of sinners that he did something about it. What did he do? For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son. He sent his Son not to condemn this world, but that the world might be saved through him. He could have sent the Son to destroy the world, but he didn't. He could have sent the the Son to judge the world. He didn't. He sent his Son to save the world. Why? Because of the love of God. That's what motivated him. The great love of God. The love that he showed towards rebellious sinners. He sent his Son. And that's why we come out this afternoon, friends, to tell you about this glorious story, to tell you about this glorious person, to tell you what he has done, to tell you that he came to this world. He became like us. What a great humiliation he undertook. This is what the Bible tells us about the Lord Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and been found in fashion as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. There in these one or two verses from Philippians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul outlines the immense condescension of the Son of God. The Son of God who is the eternally begotten Son of God, who is from all eternity and who was worshipped and adored in heaven, came to this world, this barren, sin-cursed wilderness of a world, and he became like us. He humbled himself. What a step down for the Son of God. But not only was it a step down to become like us, he came not as a king or as a conqueror, he came as a servant. And more than that, 
He came as a servant to die. And he, he died the most humiliating and horrific death known to man. He died a common criminal upon a cross. He was crucified. That's what he did. And there, friends, as you see the condescension and the humiliation of the Lord Jesus Christ, and as you see what he did, you can see his immense great love for, towards mankind, that he was prepared to undertake all he did in order to save, and he had to do these things. There would be no salvation unless he did these things. He could never save us in heaven. As the Son of God, He could never save us because man had sinned and man had to be redeemed and therefore the Son of God had to become the Son of Man. He had to become a man in order to save us. And He undertook all that to save. Is that not wonderful then? Is that not something worthy of your attention? And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death. No Roman would be treated like this. But he was. He was on a cross. He had suffered terribly at the hands of the Roman soldiers before he went on the cross. And many people who were to be crucified were beaten by the Romans first. And very often, that beating was enough. That beating would kill them. But the Lord Jesus Christ was beaten almost to death. And then he was forced to carry his cross. And a crown of thorns was put upon his head. And he was nailed to the cross through his hands and his feet. And then a soldier put a spear, a sword through his side. And ultimately he gave up the ghost. He cried with a loud cry moments before he died. It is finished, he said. That's remarkable in itself. Because here was a man who was about to die, yet he was able to raise his voice. He was able to say, it is finished. What, did, what does that mean? It means he has done everything required in order to save his people. How then can his people be saved today? All they've got to do is to believe. All they've got to do is repent, turn from their wicked ways, turn from their sins, turn from their blasphemy, turn from their Sabbath breaking, turn from their pride, turn from their fornication, turn from their adultery, turn from their homosexuality, turn from their killing, turn from their lying, turn from your sins and believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what's required. And those who do shall be saved. The Lord Jesus Himself said, Come unto Me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
Oh friend, do you want to know the rest that Jesus Christ can bring? Do you want to know the peace of God that passes all understanding? What must you do? You must come to the Lord Jesus Christ, that one who said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And that is a gospel invitation that's extended to all here this afternoon, to all who hear. You are urged to come to the Lord Jesus. Our catechism talks about the gospel being freely offered in Christ. And there today, friends, we're here extolling the virtues of one who suffered and died in the room and place of sinners, telling them that if they will but repent and believe the gospel, they will be saved. They will be saved from the guilt of their sins. They shall be saved from its power. And ultimately, they shall be saved from the very presence of sin itself. A glorious salvation has been secured by the Son of God. And you would urge, my friends, to avail yourselves of Him. Don't trust in yourself. Don't trust in any religion. Don't trust in going to a place of worship. Don't trust in a priest. Don't trust in Muhammad. Don't trust in the Pope. Don't trust in anyone. But you're to trust upon the Lord Jesus Christ alone. That one who said, Come unto me, all ye that labor. Are you laboring today? You might not like to admit it, but is it not true that you're laboring? There's something bothering you. You've got a burden. Oh, it's an invisible burden. It's not like a backpack that you can see, but you've got a real burden on your back. You're carrying it about with you. What is it? It's your sin. And because you have this burden, you don't have peace with God. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ, what does he say in these verses? Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Why does he give rest? He gives rest because he takes the burden away. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. You know, you're to take one burden off. He takes one burden off and he gives you another burden. But it's a light burden. It's not like the burden you had. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. And ye shall find rest unto your souls. Oh, is this not what you want? Rest, peace, blessedness, happiness, fulfillment. You can only find that in and through the Lord Jesus Christ alone. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's what Jesus says. And he says this to young and old. He remembers the young. He says to the young, Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth, 
while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. There's a, a warning and a very sincere exhortation that was written in the Old Testament from King Solomon, who was at that time the wisest man that ever lived. And he had tasted life. He had tasted all that life could give him. And his experience was to seek the Lord whilst he may be found, to call upon him while he is near. And that sincere warning and exhortation is given to the young people today that they might put their faith and hope upon Christ now in the prime of their lives and whereby they might live for the Lord Jesus and that they would know a blessed and a happy and a fruitful and a profitable life following Christ whom to know is life everlasting. It's good to be here from Partick Free Church of Scotland continuing and it's a delight to be able to come out and to tell you something concerning the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the book of Proverbs which was written by Solomon, who at that time was to be regarded as the most wisest man in the whole of the world. There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. There is a way that seemeth right unto a man. And as I'm out here this afternoon, and as others are with me, and people are passing by, and you may well be saying, well, that man's a bit off the head, is he not? Maybe that's what you're saying. And you're saying to yourself, well, I've got a better way. I hear what he's saying, but I've got a better way. Or I know someone else who has told me a better way. Well, I'll tell you, friends, the way that I am articulating to you this afternoon is the only way. And if you're putting your hope and trust in another way, you will be dis disappointed. Because as this verse tells us, there is a way that seemeth right unto a man. And many people discount Christianity, and they dis discount the way of the cross, and the way of salvation that God has provided, because they think it's foolish, they think it's stupid, they think it's ridiculous that you're to put your faith and your hope upon someone who came and suffered and died. It's ridiculous. That's what they think. That's how the Greeks looked upon the gospel. It was foolishness to them. But friends, what's foolishness to them was the power of God, was the wisdom and the power of God. And you might have a way that seems right to you, but I can tell you with the authority of the Bible, that way is not right. And that way will end in death. But the end thereof are the ways of death. And therefore, to be saved, 
to be right for eternity, to live in heaven in eternity, for all eternity. You must have Christ as your Lord and Savior. And friends, today is the day of salvation. Today is the time to get right with God. No thanks, sir. Thanks for that information. But no, we won't get lost. We won't. No, we'll continue to do what God has told us to do. In fact, it's a privilege and a pleasure. We delight in it to come out and to tell people. And you might want to put us off, but we will not be put off because eternity is coming. And we know that people are hearing and people are listening. And we do believe under God that they are responding. And today, friends, is the day of salvation. Today is the time to get right with God. You don't have tomorrow. You don't know it. Life is very uncertain. Death is sure. And therefore, today is the time to get right with God. Because when you die, there's no opportunity. There's no opportunity to pray. There's no opportunity to believe upon the Lord Jesus. There's no opportunity to repent or to believe. There's no second chance when we die. If we die in Christ, we shall be saved. If we die outside of Christ, we shall be condemned. And therefore, it's vitally important that you close in with Christ today, that you believe upon Him now, for today is the day of salvation. We're not promised tomorrow. As we've said earlier, life is very uncertain. Death is certain. You cannot avoid it. You came into this world and you had no say in it. And you'll go out of this world and you will have no say in it. Your life has been decreed by God, the beginning and the end. This is the day of grace. God is gracious in Christ to those who will come to Him today. And you must be ready what does the Bible say? It is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. It is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. We tell you, men, women, boys and girls, to have Christ as your Lord and Savior to be found in Him. Because there's no other way. He Himself did say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Well, we're going to draw our time to a close. It's been good to be out here. We try to come out once a week. One week we're here. The next week, by God's grace, we tend to go to the city center, weather permitting. But we're glad to be here. We're glad it's cleared up. We're glad for those who have listened. We do pray that you would take a tract and read it, and that the Lord might be pleased to bless His Word to you this afternoon.